This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Pauls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Kate Andrews, who joins us down the line from Calais. James, we've just had Prime Minister's questions and Boris Johnson was put under pressure actually by his own side when it comes to the UK's current offer to Ukrainian refugees. What happened? So Julian Smith, the former chief whip who served as Boris Johnson's first Northern Ireland secretary, essentially said that the public wanted the country to be more generous in terms of Ukrainians and for the Home Office to get a grip on the situation. And I think you see there is clearly mounting Tory dissatisfaction with how the Home Office are handling this. And I don't think the news reported today that there's going to be a kind of pop-up centre in Lille, um, 70-odd miles from Calais, is going to deal with that problem. I think people have a sense that at the moment the rules are being applied in an overly finger-checking manner. That you know, the Board of Deputies have written to the government about a lady who survived both the Holocaust and uh, before that the kind of Soviet famine in the Ukraine and yet cannot get approved to come to the UK to live with one of her grandchildren who is here. And I think there are more and more of these human cases and I mean there, there is mounting pressure on the government to do more, something that Kate reflects in her cover story in the magazine this week. Kate, when it comes to the routes for refugees into this country coming from Ukraine, there are technically two routes. Now, I think the one where we're actually seeing some results was still very limited is, uh, you know, family members who are here, so joining family. But what about the second route of sponsorship? Because it's been talked about, but yet we know very little. Yeah, we don't know very much. And it's been suggested that in the coming days, a humanitarian scheme is also going to be explained by the government. But they're clearly keeping their cards close to their chest. And it it does raise a lot of questions as to why you wouldn't want to make what are supposed schemes for Ukrainian refugees to come to the UK as explicit and as easy as possible. James speaks about the, the human stories and, you know, they're just going to keep coming. In Calais here, you know, it it is not hard to find the Ukrainian refugees, including those who have been rejected and and turned away to to heading to London. And the stories are just utterly tragic. You know, they're people who have lost family, who have left family, who are still fighting in Ukraine. Uh, They're people who are separated from loved ones. We met a man yesterday who his wife is still in Kiev with her family there, but he's he's led the way on trying to leave. You have people who are traveling with their family who are very ill or disabled. And these are these are very human stories. These are people who have done absolutely nothing wrong. These are refugees. And I think that stark contrast between Britain and Europe is becoming more and more obvious because, look, France is far from perfect. But for example, we were at the train station yesterday and we saw two Ukrainian refugees trying to get on the train from Calais to Paris. A lot of refugees are being turned back from Calais, told to go back to Paris because that is where the biggest visa processing center in France is right now. And uh, they got into a fight with a security guard because the security guard was looking at their documents and he didn't recognize them as allowing these people to travel freely, which is something that the EU has decided. And the, the scuffle went on for four or five minutes, but in the end, the security 
security guard actually apologized to uh, the refugees and said, you know, please, please go on your way. I apologize. I'm not familiar with this documentation. Can you imagine a scenario where a Home Office official is apologizing to refugees? I mean, I just think a lot of the problems with the current immigration and asylum system in the UK are, are coming to light as Ukrainians are trying to access the UK, as they're trying to get to their family. And a lot of people who who are applicable under the current scheme, which is, as you say, Katie, relatively limited, are still being turned away. James, when do you think we can expect some details of that sponsorship scheme? Because it feels as though it was floated over the weekend. There seems to be cross-department confusion. I think you've hit the nail on the head in your question, Katie. I think that, you know, that the Ukraine refugee policy has been handled by two departments, the Home Office and Michael Gove's levelling up local government and communities department. Gove's department is meant to be in charge of this second sponsorship route. The word in Whitehall is that you have got a more institutionally restrictive Home Office coming up against Gove's department inclination to be more generous in terms of what the of, of the offer. You've got Richard Harrington, who's been appointed Michael Gove, ally one might note, who has been appointed as the refugees minister. Maybe he's going to be made a peer, former Tory MP, who ironically Boris Johnson took the whip off in the last parliament, will now become a Tory peer and a minister in charge of refugees. Now, he has experience in this area, having done the Syrian programme. But I think one of the things that we are seeing here is a tension about how generous the community route, community sponsorship route should be. And I mean, there's also a division of opinion. Some ministers will say to you privately, look, you know, we've got a very tight labour market at the moment. You know, there isn't any doubt about the ability to absorb more workers, you know, into the economy at at this time. This is, you know, but you have other people who are still more worried about the numbers, how you would do it. And you had the Home Office, you know, and I think the Home Office are, are particularly concerned with biometrics and things like that. I'm not saying that I don't think the biometrics are necessarily a problem. I think the problem is you, you've got to make that process speedy, easy, and close by to where people are. It seems to me slightly strange that we are uh, we're setting up a centre in Lille rather than Calais, given that more people seem to be in Calais rather than Lille. Now, some people say this is because the government are worried that if you set up a centre in Calais, you might create a precedent that the French would try and use to say, well, why don't you process asylum claims here? But I think at the moment there is proper pressure, both in Parliament from the front of the public, for the government to be more generous on this front. And I think as the war in Ukraine becomes more brutal, as I fear it will, as Vladimir Putin has not succeeded in his initial aims, then I think that the public, the public desire to see the UK doing more on the refugee front will become more pronounced. Though, Kate, this is going to be coming up against a cost-of-living crisis, which appears to be getting grimmer by the day. Um, what's the latest on that? Today we're hearing of £2 a litre petrol in London. But there are estimates saying that actually when it comes to energy bills, uh, at one point we're saying it could go to £3,000 a year for energy bills, but now there's talk of 4500 Mhm. Yeah, it was estimated that the war that Putin has launched against Ukraine in and of itself could raise energy bills by another £1,000, taking them up to an average of 3000 But the additional crack- down from the US and the UK that we're seeing now could see them go further. Uh, There are a few things here. First of all, the 
proper communication with the public about this is the cost that we're going to bear in order to stand in solidarity with Ukraine. You know, there's still no public appetite or political appetite for boots on the ground for British or Americans' lives to be lost in Ukraine. But that doesn't mean that there won't be some element of sacrifice. It doesn't mean that we aren't doing our bit and it's going to be economic. I still think whilst Boris Johnson and his ministers have hinted at it slightly further, that has not been properly communicated. Then the question is, can people afford it? And the truth is a lot of families cannot. And there's no doubt that there's gonna be more pressure on the treasury to do more than the roughly 200, 300 pound handout that's being given to people to help with their energy bills this year. The question then becomes, okay, well, how are we going to find those billions and billions of pounds? It is very difficult to argue for more borrowing right now because we don't know how long these costs will last. They might technically be one off, but it could theoretically be for years that our energy bills are higher. And inflation is soaring. You know, we are not in a position to be borrowing more money. That's expensive. We have to service that debt. We have to pay that money back. So we have to we have to pay the, the, the debt service back. So I, I think that there's going to be real questions about the one thing that Boris Johnson has wanted to avoid, which is talk of any kind of austerity, talk of spending cuts, talk of reprioritizing certain things. I suppose the good news, although I'm hesitant to call it that, is that the prime minister has been so keen to spend so much money. There should be money that they can find on some pretty grandstanding spending projects that they could divert to get humanitarian and medical assistance to Ukraine, help people with their energy bills if they're at the low end of that pay spectrum and they really can't afford what's about to happen. But that's going to be a very difficult political conversation even in the Tory party, which has become very used to asking Rishi Sunak for significantly more money. And it's been quite some time since they've all had a conversation about what they could cut or what they could roll back for the greater good. The last thing I just wanted to say really quickly on James's point about Lille and the pop-up center that's, that's going up there. A common theme here in Calais when you speak to Ukrainian refugees is that they did have disposable cash at the start of this crisis when they were first fleeing, um, but it's dwindled really quite rapidly. They're, of course, not working anymore. And they'll point out that, you know, the cost of a relatively cheap motel, as far as we're concerned, in Calais for a night could, you know, get you by for a week or two weeks in Ukraine. So, you know, they did come prepared, but the amount of time that it's taking to get to their final destination um, is meaning that their small pot is starting to run dry. So when the UK government says, look, we're creating a pop-up center, it's 75 miles away from where you are, that is heart-wrenching for a lot of people. They really don't know how they're going to afford to get there. Um, They've already come so far. They're exhausted. So many of them are traveling with young children, with extended family. Um, They're traveling with the few belongings they could take with them. Um, So, you know, we really should, we we shouldn't take for granted that mileage. And it, it is frustrating. It seems like a real political calculation not to open one up in Calais for the other arguments that exist between the French and the British over over border control. But the decision is certainly not felt here to be helping the Ukrainians. There was a lot of frustration when that was announced yesterday that the centre wasn't here. And just finally, James, when it comes to um, cost of living, one of the big things is how uh, we're going to work on our energy supply. And fracking appears to be at least back as a topic of debate. How has the Prime Minister's position changed on this? So the Tory introduced a moratorium on fracking in 2019. I think this was introduced for political reasons. The, 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 the rationale at the time was 
it was unpopular, local councils didn't like it, and crucially, voters didn't like it. And the Tories were worried about seats in Lancashire and Derbyshire uh, and whether they'd be able to hold them or take them if kind of fracking was, was kind of on the agenda. I think Boris Johnson is now hoping that public opinion will have changed. You know, energy prices are going right up. You know, we are clearly seeing the dangers of Europe so relying on Russia for gas. So, you know, if the UK could get more gas out of the ground itself, uh, that would unarguably be a good thing. I think the danger here is that however much it might suit people to think that this was all done because of, you know, the green agenda, it wasn't. It was done because of the political reasons, because of the objections to uh, fracking from local councils and local voters. I think we wait, we'll have to see whether those have been overcome. If whether, you know, th- th- these fracking wells that were going to have concrete poured into them won't now. They're going to be kind of, the British Geological Survey will, will keep hold of them so that they could possibly be used for research and the like. Uh, I think Boris Johnson is personally keen to get on with fracking. But I wonder whether fracking is going to have much more luck with council planning committees now than it did before. I mean, James' argument at Tory MPs in favour of this are making uh, is effectively that the situation has changed. And while fracking isn't popular, um, if it's the choice between fracking and, you know, eye-watering energy bills, um, that's going to have a voter backlash in of itself. So there's going to be a backlash somewhere. And actually, perhaps the fracking backlash is less bad by comparison. Yeah, I, I personally think that, that, that fracking would be a sensible thing to do. I just, I just look, look at, I mean, I think Rob Colbert put it quite neatly in the Sunday Times column, you know, look how this country struggles to even build houses, right? There was a Tory MP asked a question objecting to, to a reservoir being built in his constituency at PMQs. You know, this is not a country that is quite comfortable with these kinds of infrastructure projects, especially fracking, which... Uh, I think it is unfair, but has developed this kind of reputation for causing tremors and difficulties and troubles. And so I I just put it like this. I think if we are going to rely on fracking to solve our energy problems, we might be waiting for really quite some time. Thank you, James. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for listening.